All right, would you bow your heads and join me in a prayer? Heavenly Father, we love have Paul and Paul here. We're not here for Paul. Hannah, my own daughter, Lord, I mean, we're so thankful for a bunch of people's contribution today, but that's not why we're here. This one, we're not here to behold him. We're here to behold you. Lord, for the next 30 minutes as we open up your word, I pray by the miraculous infilling power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let our hearts see you. And see, see something about you, something about your character that we've never seen before. So that we can so that we can fall just a little further in love with you. We don't love you enough yet. Help us. That's our greatest problem is we don't love you enough. Please help us with that. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Did you see how my daughter told you Easter Sunday is required attendance? Did everybody hear that? So, all right. <laughs> all right. Now, uh, at the end of 2021 in the fall, we had kind of a, a bit of a hard event around my house. My, um, a number of years back, my wife found a little, actually a friend of ours found a stray chihuahua and gave it as a gift to my wife. And I use the word gift loosely. Because I, now I grew up with, I grew up with a lab. That was kind of what I grew up with because that's a dog for Americans. And then, I mean, anytime I think about like lap dogs, one of the things that I, like my mind automatically checks out about lap dogs because the thing that comes to my mind instantly is all, is all the dog accessories, <laughs> ribbons, shoes, a sweater, all that stuff for me. I just go, that's for people, not for dogs, you know? So like lap dogs drive me a little bit crazy. Um, okay. Ex Except over time, this little chihuahua warmed his little way right into my heart. And I think that one of the reasons why is because um, you know that most chihuahuas are brutally, dreadfully ugly. Yes? Okay. So, and here's the reason why. Did you ever notice that bats are also ugly? And the reason why is it's God's teaching mechanism to teach you. Stay away from that thing. You don't want anything to do with that thing. But there was something about this chihuahua, even though, I mean, it was, it was, you know, within the breed, it was still fairly, it's a chihuahua, so its level of ugliness was within a normal realm. Uh, but the thing was, this chihuahua had a, in, in this little chihuahua's heart was the true spirit of a chihuahua. If C.S. Lewis was going to write a chihuahua in Narnia, that was the dog. The tr you know, the true dignity of a chihuahua, right? But then uh, it was sad last fall, uh, her little heart, um, she just, she, it became unrecoverable. I took her to the vet and it was time for us to say goodbye. And ever since then, there's been like this little hole in my wife's heart, a chihuahua-sized hole right in my wife's heart. So, you know, from time to time, she'll go on the internet and she'll start looking for some dog to replace this dog. And... Um, <laughs> Every once in a while, she'll send me a text message as if she's found this dog. Okay, now, she sent me the text message because when she looked at this dog, in her heart, she thought, this could be the one. And then I open the picture, and I'm looking at this dog. <laughs> and I'm like, is that a bat or a dog? They're so ugly. They're so terrible. Okay, now, 
So what I'm saying to you, I just painted a little picture there how two different people could look at the same thing and have two completely different reactions, right? Okay, it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, probably 2.5 million people were in Jerusalem. And hundreds of thousands of people sang and screamed and celebrated, Hosanna in the highest to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Lay their cloaks down on the road in front of them. And we're going to see lots of people celebrated Christ in a radical way. They looked at Jesus and in their hearts, they looked at him and said, behold him, look at him. And there was a whole other population of people who looked at Jesus. They were in the same town, on the same road, in the same building, watching the same Jesus do exactly the same things. One group of people responded with wonder and awe and love. And the other group of people, the opposite. Hatred, envy. Hated him so much, not only did they want to kill him, they wanted to kill Lazarus along with him. At the end of the day, Palm Sunday, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He intentionally chose. He intentionally chose to go right up to Jerusalem and to make no bones about it. Everybody in that town knew exactly who he was claiming to be and what kind of authority that he was going to take. And everybody in that city had to make a decision. And we are in exactly the same position today on our own Palm Sunday celebration. Everybody in here, you and I, we got a decision to make. Should we behold him? And should we figure out, is there any parts of our life that we are not giving to him? Or, and this is the only other logical option, or is he a megalomaniac? A person who's gonna walk up to a whole city and say, everybody worship me. That guy is either God or he's an idiot. He's one of those two things, but he's nothing in between. And I, boy, I hope as we open up God's word today, what we see is just a wonder, wonder. So I'm going to ask you to take out your copy of God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. This section in my scripture is uh, titled the triumphal entry. And I'm going to ask that we, like the people on Palm Sunday, they were not on their, they were on their, they were on their feet standing in honor. And I'm going to ask that we do the same thing. All right, now in your own mind and in your own heart, just try to use your, your visualizing muscle. Let's picture this. What was this like on this day? Chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. You have never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please open up our hearts and our minds. Because we know that Jesus rose from the grave and because we know that right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that means that Jesus is still discipling us. He's still teaching us. So Jesus, please be our teacher this morning. And it's in your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So now Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to go from the Mount of Olives up to the city of Jerusalem. That's about 1.1 miles, just to give you an idea. That's like if you walked out the front door, uh, took a right on Church Road, and walked up to Johnson's Corner Farm. That's 1.1 miles. Jesus did not go get a donkey because that was a long walk for him. He walked plenty of other places before. He went and got a donkey and got on it because he had a message that he wanted to clearly convey, something that he was doing. But on that 1.1 mile walk from the Mount of Olives up to the city of Jerusalem, Jesus was not by himself. And there wasn't 15 or 20 people. There was massive crowds of people. Now, we know that some of the crowds of people were behind him. Matthew tells us there's a whole crowd behind him and a whole crowd in front of him. Because the crowd behind him has come with him. And it's coming from a few different groups of people. Just before this, Jesus was in Jericho. And Jesus has been on the march from town to town, healing people, teaching people, saving people. And people left their hometowns and went with Jesus. As Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives and headed to Jerusalem, behind him was a whole wake of people whose lives had been transformed. In fact, just a little bit before this in the city of Jericho, a little guy named Zacchaeus was up in a tree. Remember him? And he came to Christ. So behind him is this whole wake of people who who have come to follow him. Now behind him is also a whole group of travelers because it's the Passover and people from all the towns that Jesus went through were getting prepared to go up to Jerusalem. There's a massive crowd of people behind him. But there's also a massive amount of people that are in front of him that instead of coming from, they're not coming from Jericho and Bethany to the Mount of Olives, they're coming from Jerusalem out to the Mount of Olives. And the reason why is because they heard that Jesus was in Bethany. 
See, the night before, Jesus wakes up and goes to, leaves Bethany, heads to the Mount of Olives, and is going to go to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. The night before that is the night that Jesus was in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his good friends that lived in Bethany. And Mary took some oil, spikenard, very expensive ointment, likely all the spices you had to import from India, and she poured them out on Jesus' feet and filled the whole room with that smell. And it was a, it was a multi-sensory room-filling experience of what it means to really see Jesus, to really behold him, to really do what is right to do, to bow down and worship him, to love him, to glorify him. And at that, at that dinner party when she did this, uh, there, were, there was a great crowd that was gathered around. And the reason why is because they heard that Jesus was in town, that he had brought Lazarus back from the dead. And so people thronged out of the city of Jerusalem out to see Jesus in Bethany. Now remember, people are in the city of Jerusalem because it's a festival. It's just days before the Passover. And in the days before the Passover, Jews would travel from all around the Mediterranean to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Lots of them would come early to purify themselves and to get things all prepared for the Passover. So some people who lived in towns, who lived in countries and areas that Jesus had not traveled to, when they came to Jerusalem and heard that Jesus is one mile away, they went out to him. And so they're going out to him, and this means there's people totally lining the road between him and Jerusalem. And there's people behind him, people that have come with him. Lazarus is probably back there. Martha's back there. Mary is back there. So Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he looks at two of his disciples. Go into that town right there, and you're going to find a donkey and a donkey's baby, and bring them both to me. And if anybody says anything to you, just tell them that the Lord needs them. The disciples go into town, and what do they find? exactly the thing that Jesus said they would find. And so they do exactly the thing that Jesus says to do. In fact, the other gospels tell us that people ask them, hey, what are you doing? Because in the Bible, it was not a small thing to steal somebody else's donkey. Donkey stealing had stiff penalties attached to it, but they obey Jesus. People ask him, what are you doing? And then the owner's there and they say, the Lord needs it. And so the owner sends the, the donkey uh, and the baby donkey uh, over to Jesus, and Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. Now, I could, many of you probably have been in these sermons before, and I could, we could turn this into a whole lecture. This could be an hour and a half. And what I could point out to you is how hundreds and hundreds of prophecies and promises and pictures of the Old Testament are, com- are all coming true so fast, it's like your popcorn bag in the microwave. You know how for the first little while you don't hear anything? It's just like sitting in there and all of a sudden they, it just starts popping everywhere. This is what's happening to Jesus on this day. He's on the Mount of Olives because that's where the Messiah is going to come from. And he's on a donkey because years before the Zechariah said this is exactly the way the king is going to come to the temple. And he gets anointed at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. And he's getting anointed for his burial. And everybody in the room doesn't even know that he's going to die. His closest friends, the disciples, still don't understand what's going on. All around Jesus, everybody, the disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, everybody is like, what is happening? But Matthew wants us to know 
Jesus is not confused. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Jesus is in charge of exactly what's going on. Jesus gets on this donkey and is going to ride up this road because he's going to go up to the city of Jerusalem and have exactly the kind of impact that he intends to have. And so he's, he's riding up the road. And Matthew tells us the next thing that he does is he goes right into the temple to cleanse it. And we know if we look at the, uh, at the other gospels, um, he rides the donkey up to the, up to the city of Jerusalem and he does go into the temple. And in the temple, he looks around. He looks around at what's going on, but the other gospels tell us that it's nighttime. And he's got too much work to do to start at sundown. So he goes back to Bethany, back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. The next morning he gets up, donkey's back with its owner, and this time he heads up to the city of Jerusalem, and he goes up into the temple, and he starts going to work. You know the kind of work I'm talking about, right? The section in my Bible, this section's titled, Jesus Cleanses the Temple. But it's not with like 409 and a mop bucket. It's not that kind of cleansing. He goes up to the temple and he begins making quite a disturbance. Now the temple building is huge. The biggest part of the temple is called the Court of the Gentiles. R.C. Sproul, biblical expert, sort of looks at all the evidence. It's probably, this, this section of the temple is probably 39 acres. 39 acres. Everybody could be in the court of the Gentiles, but only if you were a Jew could you go in a little bit closer from the court of the Gentiles to the court of the Jews. That was a smaller part. Both Jewish men and women and children could be there. But then even further in, you couldn't just be a Jew, you had to be a priest. And each one of these levels of getting closer and closer leads to the ultimate closeness. One, one part of the building was a perfect cube laid with gold on the inside. This part of the temple is called the Holy of Holies. This part of the temple is patterned after the Garden of Eden, the place that every single one of us knows exists and deep down we long for and everybody is trying to get back to it. How can I be with God? How can I know God? How can I be in his presence? How can I feel and see his glory? Now, his presence and glory left the Holy of Holies a long time before this. This was now a huge building. And in the court of the Gentiles, 39 acres, Jesus strides into the court of the Gentiles. And he starts clearing it. And when Matthew tells us clearing it, he tells us what he's doing. He's knocking over tables of money changers. What do you think is happening to the money that's on the table of the money changers? coins everywhere. And he's knocking over the chairs of those people who are selling the animals. And don't you think when he knocked over a couple chairs, there might have been a few people sitting on those chairs that might have gone knocked over with him? How long do you think it took him to go person by person, table by table, chair by chair, across 39 acres? Is it any wonder when he gets done with this and he walks by the fig tree and he's hungry? And Matthew tells us that as Jesus is doing this, he's got an audience. Um, the junior high 
boys' Sunday school class follow Jesus up into the court of the Gentiles, and as he's tossing tables and throwing chairs around, there's Hosanna, isn't this great, right? And Jesus says the reason he's doing this. Remember I said 2.5 million people would be in the city of Jerusalem. Josephus, a Jewish historian in the year 6 AD, said 255,000 sacrificial lambs were sold in the temple in one year. And we know by Jewish law, there was a limit, one lamb per 10 people in a family. Take 255,000 times 10, 2.5 million people. Lots and lots of those people would have come from far away. And when they come to the temple, the the law did require that there would be sacrifices that were made. And because they would come from all over the world, the temple had its own specific currency. And scripture gives real clear um, laws that, uh, real clear laws that the kind of coinage that the temple uses has to be pure and it has to be weighed on even scales. One person can't have a coin that's worth more than another person. There was very strict rules about that. So when people came in from other parts of the country to the temple and needed to purchase animals for sacrificing, they had to have a currency exchange. They had to take their coins, whatever, wherever it was from, and they had to exchange it for temple coins. And there's nothing wrong with offering this kind of currency exchange in the temple, except the problem was many of the people who were exchanging currency were inflating the rates massively. And they would then, you know, as they made that currency trade to get their own coins, then they would need to buy animals for sacrifices. Because you can imagine, if you were supposed to come up to the temple and sacrifice a pigeon, but you came 300 miles, you know how hard it is to travel 300 miles with a pigeon? So it actually was a great convenience that there were animals for sale there. There's, There's nothing wrong with the fact that they were trading currency and nothing wrong with the fact that they were selling the animals. But did you know that at one point the going rate for a pigeon in the temple was 50 times market value? You know, like when you go to the movie theater and you pay $17 for M&Ms? Doesn't something inside you just go, this is not right. And don't you want to start clearing out the temple then? 50 times. And even though the Bible doesn't contain any pictures of Jesus, Nowhere do we see what color hair he had. Sometimes people will say, well, Jesus definitely had dark hair. That's true, but don't forget he was Jewish. And remember um, Jacob and Esau? One of them was a redhead, right? So we, we can't get too carried away totally understanding what Jesus looked like physically. But that's not the point. Each of these pictures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, painted over and over again, What you can know and what you must know and what you need to know is not what color Jesus' hair was. If the Bible wanted us to know, the Bible would have written it down. But what the Bible does want to know is what does Jesus Christ's heart look like? What is is he like? And he walks up to the court of the Gentiles and he's real frustrated. He's frustrated that the business operations of the temple have taken over some of the most valuable real estate, and that valuable real estate is intended for a certain group of people, a group of people that are far from God, a group of people that didn't know God. And I'll tell you what, this is not just a problem for Jewish people in the first century. You know, the most easy thing for a church like us, a congregation like ours to do, 
Do you know that the, the, the path of least resistance is always to ask the question, how, how can our church meet our needs? Right? Um, how, can the, how can the business operations of the church and how can the church meeting our needs, you know that, that those two questions can continue to grow and grow and grow and grow until they take over the whole acti- the whole church calendar is taken up with stuff that's good for us. And yet pay attention, the largest square footage in the entire temple was given to the nations, to the people who are far from God because that demonstrates God's heart. God has a heart for people who are far away from him. He does. And he said, this is the place of prayer. Jesus walked around that day and the religious leaders, what they were doing was inhibiting and getting in the way of the thing that people came to the temple to do, which is to know God, to worship God, to be with God, to talk to God. You know, and Palm Sunday, the, you know, the primary point is not for us to get green branches out and to kind of wave them during, you know, I mean, we had Paul Balash here singing Hosanna. That was a perfect opportunity. How do we miss it? Palm branches, we could have all gone home and said, oh, that's what Palm Sunday is all about. But no, it's not. Palm Sunday is not about the branch. Palm Sunday is about the heart. Now, I told you the night before Jesus went up to the city of Jerusalem, he was at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary got up this expensive ointment and poured it out on his feet, filled the room. People were moved. In some ways, the Holy of Holies, God's physical presence, and the environment that surrounds when God shows up in a special way. That wasn't at the temple, but it was at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. It was happening right there. True, heartfelt worship was right there, and the glory of it filled the room. And there was a guy there. And this guy was in the same room with everybody else. Same room, he saw Jesus right there. He watched Mary do that thing. He could smell the ointment. He could see the thing. He he was having the exact same experience. Mary was there and this guy was there watching the exact same thing. And Mary was moved, was pouring out her affection on Jesus Christ. And Judas looked at that situation and said, ugh, I hate this. And to hide his hatred, He put on the air of religiosity. Couldn't we have done something for the poor with that money? Wouldn't that have been a better use of it? Two people in the same room looking at the very same thing with two totally different reactions. Because sometimes don't you come to a church service or you're reading your Bible or something and you're like, boy, if I could just get, if I could just get to the, if I could find the right church where the word was really preached, or, you know, if, 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 boy, if it was just, if it was a different song, you know, there's this one song that when that song goes on, heaven opens and, you know, up above me. And mm, boy, then it's real worship. And I just want to say the difference between real worship and true worship is not the sound and it's not the song. It's not what verse gets chosen. You know what the difference is, right? The difference is in your heart. The difference is in your heart. 
And it could be real easy to finish this sermon and say, those Jewish religious leaders, look what they did to his temple. And we could definitely do that. But don't you think the better thing for us all to do would be to ask the question, what about the temple of our hearts? Any money changing going on in there? If if Jesus rode right up the road, right into our hearts, and if he looked around and said, how do I like things in here? Wouldn't you want him to go crazy in there? Wouldn't you want him to start kicking some tables over and throwing some chairs around? Listen, everybody's like, no. (laughs) Pastor Seth, I don't want that at all. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because if you've been born again, if the Spirit has moved in your life and you've been born again, once God has come into your life, you know he's taking your life somewhere. When he stepped into Jerusalem that day, he wasn't just looking to have a cleaned up court of the Gentiles. He's taking the world somewhere, you know? And don't you want to go there? And don't we look around at the world and we go, we don't just need a little bit of cleaning up. Don't we need something brand new? Don't we need something totally new and different than this? And when you look in the mirror at your own life, don't you go, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you've done. But don't you need to be brand new? Don't you want that? And boy, the religious leaders looked at the, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders watched Jesus knocking over tables and, and chairs. Think about this. Mark tells us that on this day that Jesus was cleansing the temple, not one person walked out of there with anything. No, nobody picked up a coin and nobody like snuck a little dove into their coat like, oh good, I got a freebie. There was no looting going on on this day. No one got out of there with anything. You just think about what kind of command that meant that Jesus had to be in complete control of 39 acres in chaos and not one person got out of there with anything. He is a great king, you know? And all of us today are in the same exact spot that they were on that Palm Sunday. If all we have, if you just look in the rearview mirror, if we look at the crowds behind Jesus, from the disciples to that woman who wouldn't stop bleeding, to the lepers, to Zacchaeus and Jericho, to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, since then, haven't hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of more sinners come to treasure him and to love him? Can't we look at all the true Christians in history? Is that line getting smaller or bigger? And can't we look at where Jesus Christ is taking the world? What he's going to do? And can't we right here from our own position take off our own our own cloaks, our own sense of status or significance, what we think is going to bring us meaning in life, can't we take that off and just lay it, lay it right in front of him and say, go, you have your way. You go your way. You do what you're going to do. And even, even though Zechariah prophesied that Jesus was going to come in peace, And even though he does come on a donkey, the way that peace comes is not by God turning a blind eye to sin, the opposite. Jesus heads into Jerusalem this week, and he's not going to survive the end of the week.
How does peace come? How is it that you and I can have peace with God? One way. Jesus is a lamb. The Passover sacrifice. The person who would lay down his life so that his cleansing blood could forgive our sins. You and I can have peace with God, but there is only one road that leads into that Jerusalem, that city of peace. Only one way. And it's not religious activity. It's not memorizing the Bible. It's not good works. It's not be a good person. There's one way that you can be made right with God. And that is by looking to and placing your entire trust in Jesus Christ. Admitting that there's not one person who Jesus is not the king over. There's not one person who does not need that sacrifice. Not one. And transferring your trust away from your own system of changing money and making sacrifices to lay that all off to the side and say once for all Jesus Christ died. The innocent for the guilty. The righteous for the unrighteous. You and I could be made right with God in, in one place on that one road. And that's your king. Would you stand to your feet? Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, earlier in this service we were singing, Behold them. And Lord, I can't make that happen. Only you can do that. Only thing that I can do here today, only thing that we did, was to look at, look at Christ, look at what Matthew's telling us. Only thing that we can do is look right there at all the truth that's right there. And then lean and depend on your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts. Lord, for those of us that have been a Christian a long time, I pray every glimpse we get into the truth and the beauty and the glory of Christ that we would just look at him. Lord, I pray for anybody here who came in and was like, you know, I'm not really sure about all this. But even now they feel you working in them. Lord, you, you told us in your word, today, if we hear your voice, do, do not harden your heart, but respond. I pray right now, anybody that's feeling you drawing them right now, I pray that they would relent, that they would give in, that they would reach out. You said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. And I pray that we would walk out more clean than the court of the Gentiles were when you got done cleansing that building that day. Cleanse our hearts so that they can be fully devoted to you. Make our lives a house of prayer. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.